0: We're happy today to be able to have Dr. Michelle Kimsey to lead our conference, and uh, she is an assistant professor of nursing at Harris College of Nursing and Health Science. She earned her Ph.D. at the University of Texas at Tyler, holds a B.S. in Nursing at Baylor University, and an M.S. in Nursing Education from Texas Women's University and since coming to TCU, she has continued to follow her passion of older adults and those living with dementia. Dr. Kempsey's research focuses on improving the care of those living with dementia. At TCU, she developed a specific nursing course for students related to dementia, as well as integrating dementia education in all levels of the nursing curriculum. She is the founder of Rethinking Dementia, a nonprofit organization housed within the TCU uh, Harris College of Nursing, but not funded by TCU. The organization is dedicated to education, outreach, and research related to dementia. As a Christian, one of the many ways she demonstrates the love of Christ and serves our Lord is through her commitment. Uh, commitment to dementia care. Let's welcome Dr. Kempsey as she comes and begins our program. Thank you.
1: First of all, I cannot tell you how excited I am to see all of these faces. Um, We really were concerned thinking how many people we know there's a need, but um, I have to tell you, my heart is just on fire to look out and see all these people who are interested in dementia, my goal today is for you to rethink dementia I want it to be a positive thing I want you to know uh, you know there's hope uh, there's hope for a cure but until then you know there's a way that we and when I say we all of us um, in our in our communities can make a difference and to help those who are living with it those who, maybe living with it and not know that they're living with it and then mainly to support the families and and if anybody um, is dealing with or living with dementia you know the family is impacted and that ripple effect just keeps going so um, we're going to have questions at the end i know that's kind of our favorite time too is to interact with you guys but as i get started um dementia when i say the word dementia or you hear it What are some feelings or thoughts that you might have? (laughs) Scary. Scary. Confusion. Confusion, very good, what else? Financial. (laughs) Yes, financial. Forgetfulness. Bingo, y'all both got that. Forgetfulness, correct? What else? Depression. Depression. Frustration. Frustration. Frustration, yes. Anger. Yes, very much. Ashamed. Ashamed isolation responsibility something family Family yes (laughs) y'all are awesome y'all are better (laughs) than my students i'm I'm always trying to pull it out and y'all spit them all out so what y'all have said is um not to knock it but it's negative correct okay we want to turn that a little bit because if you ask somebody who is living with dementia what they when they hear dementia it's actually different. A lot of people see, I'm a husband, I'm a wife, I sing in the choir, I'm a retired doctor, I, meaning I am somebody. So there's dignity there. We have to really look at that person-centered and make sure that we show them dignity. When we say dementia, what does a person with dementia, what should they look like? Yay. <laughs> yes, they look like me and you. Okay. And there you go. Ordinary. I'm ordinary. We, all are or, we are people and that's what they look like and I think what do they sound like? Yes, and if you've ever visited with somebody who has dementia sometimes you might not even pick up on it, correct? If you're there for little sn- snippets of time. Okay, so we're all on the same page. So this is going to be great. Okay. So today we're gonna explore what it means to be dementia friendly as a community, uh, the community and church, but I really hope that you take this out to your actual neighborhoods, because over 70% of people who are living with dementia are in your neighborhoods. Majority of them have no diagnosis also. About 20% live alone, and not that that's a danger yet. But you know, we don't know. But a lot of them live alone. Okay, and one of my stories I always start with with the neighborhood, as you know, the next door app and the little um, ding dong ring. So we had a neighbor who was most upset that some man walked into her house. The door was open, mind you, but there was a screen door. So you know everybody on social media we all have to have our two cents and as i went to look at the video from the the ring it was an older man with a cane walking and coming up to the door now of course being the dementia person my dementia friend i knew exactly he thought that was his house pure and simple okay so that is what we need to take a step back on and put ourselves in their shoes they thought it was his house and there because they, they had no idea they were on the, they actually lived on the block over so these are the things that we really have to stop and pause before we react in the grocery store same thing you're going to see people getting lost and they're standing there frozen that's up to us to go ahead and reach out okay so that's what it means as a community to help um fort worth uh you know i know in tarrant county actually too is dementia friendly certified and i know you're thinking well what does that mean because we may not have seen anything but our goal is to bring in sectors, so business sector faith communities and really just raise awareness but the community itself uh uh Fort Worth DementiaFriendly.org, they have resources and that kind of stuff because that's another topic we can talk about later, resources and how in the world do you find them and navigate. But we're really trying to raise awareness, so we have Texas has Dementia Friends, um, we have uh, cities that are now becoming Dementia Friendly, we have TCU, uh, Harris College is one of the first colleges to have uh, a dementia friend and adult friendly designation so we're really trying to push this and raise awareness so just know that there's a lot of work going on it's just might not be seen on your slide. so we're, we're going to try to get there quickly okay okay stats and uh, stats don't really tell us a lot except for that it's what the incidence is high the numbers are high um, you know, for example, the sixth leading cause of death is that's Alzheimer's, and as y'all will learn today, that's just one type. So these numbers are actually a little higher; should be a little higher when you put in all the other types of dementia um, that has taken place. Tarrant County, there's over 21,000 people living with dementia that have a diagnosis that we know of. So you can again, the numbers just can keep climbing. Um, I was reading an article actually this morning about, we all know that the our population is aging. It's gonna be the first time that we actually, older adults outnumber children. We know all that, but it really is fixing to hit. You know, it's, the, we always said it hit a few years ago, but we're really gonna see an increase um, in dementia we, um, coming soon. So what is dementia? <clears throat> it's more of a syndrome, okay? it's. It's not a disease per se, diseases can cause dementia. Um, And we have another visual, but the visual is for best, sometimes people understand an umbrella. So the umbrella itself is dementia. That is the overarching word. Underneath are the types or things that cause dementia. Alzheimer's type, Lewy body type, those are the types. But what I want y'all to think about is dementia is confusion, yes. Maybe memory loss, executive functioning, planning, those kind of things those, uh, that we take for granted. And I, I love this crowd because y'all know what a checkbook is. When I talk to my students, I get, they get lost on that thought of balancing checkbooks. But that, those are some of the things that you might see. Now on the next slide, this is, this is something I have to hammer home. Dementia changes everything, but the most important, it's not the same for every person. That is exactly a problem. So there is no cookie cutter, oh look, they're in stage one and we do this. It is, it is person-centered, it is everybody here has a different personality, we all have different life experiences, and that actually plays a part too on how we're going to react and care for these people. Um, it is not necessarily a mental illness, it is real and it is hard. And I will tell you and people who are living with dementia will tell you it's hard, on the care partner, the spouse, the kid, whoever's taking care of them. That is where it's most difficult. Um, okay, so these are the red flags. So, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, Aunt Sue, she, she, you know, she doesn't turn off her stove and she uh, forgets her doctor's appointments, but that's normal. <laughs> Nothing about that is normal. We, you, we have heard so many stories where You know, um, that that's just part of aging. So what? They forget. So what? That they don't know who I am today. No, that's, (laughs) it is not normal. There's nothing normal about dementia, okay? So that's our first one. So our first red flag is memory. So what this, this is telling us is where it says aging, that's, I hate to use the word normal, but for lack of a better term, normal aging, or what's Okay, how's that? <laughs> you can br- br- uh, sigh of relief over here. But these are early signs and symptoms that you know you might wanna, that's a red flag for you like, hmm, something's going on. So memory loss that disrupts daily life. That's forgetting appointments or scheduling appointment when you already have an appointment or forgetting uh, an appointment, okay? So those are those things that happening once might be okay but you know when you talk to physicians um, or dentists, that's the person that wants to come every week because they don't remember that they've been there, okay? So it's a memory that really affects their daily life, okay? Um, Not just not brushing your teeth, but bigger than that. Um, The next one is challenges and planning or solving problems, hence the checkbook. (coughs) Budgeting is a huge red flag. (laughs) You might have people pay their mortgage two or three times one month which, and I, when I tell you these stories, these are from people who have told me. So I always think, oh, that's incredible. So one, um, one person paid the mortgage three times in one month. Huge red flag, as you all know. <laughs> Another is trying to balance that checkbook and you have a stack of bills. So you go over and the bills are not paid. They're in a drawer, they're, they're stacked up in a nice pile. So there's a, there's a planning, an executive piece right there that, that is not happening. The third one, is difficulty completing familiar tasks at home or work or leisure. Um, a lot of people are still working when they are first diagnosed and they notice those things. It took me longer to complete things at work. I forgot a meeting at work. Another is, um, one of my favorite uh, st- you know, stories is, you all have a favorite store. Um, mine was always Tom Thumb. You go in and one day you get lost and you cannot get out of the store that you have been to for years. Very common. That goes back to you're having a hard time completing it and now you have these groceries and you can't find the checkout. Okay, this, this really this happens, okay? Um, so we, we can go to the next one. You're doing good. <laughs> Thank you, Nancy. Confusion with time or place. Very normal, as my dad used to tell me, Michelle, I don't care if it's Monday or Wednesday unless I have an appointment or something. I thought, well, that's true. This is more than that. This is, it's August, and I'm gonna put my coat on. So maybe you're mixing up seasons, or mixing up times of day, so you're, or you forget the big holidays. You know, maybe it's Christmas. Um, or that Sunday, we go to church every Sunday, and they wake up and it's, they think it's a, something different. So it's a bigger issue than just, you know, I don't know if it's July 7th or 14th, you know, doesn't really matter to, to most of us, to be real honest. So there is that confusion with time or place. Trouble understanding visual images or spatial relationships. With dementia in the brain, it can cause vision issues. Okay, And I always tell you all that this is your peripheral vision and as we get older it kind of comes in a little bit. People with dementia, depending on where the, the problem is in their brain, their visual field is directly in front of them. So when you come in the door and you're talking to that person who has dementia and they can't see you, they don't know you're talking to them a lot of times, okay? The visual field is in front. So therefore, when you touch somebody on the, coming up from behind, you might get a, a shock to yourself too, okay? So you may get an abrupt uh, reaction from that person. Another thing with spatial, uh, visual spatial is flooring. You know, the slick floors uh, um, in tile, let's just say, when there's water on them, a lot of people with dementia see that as a hole. OK? So they, they may be hesitant to go down that way. They may try to walk around something like that. But flooring is really a big deal. Um, it, the real crazy designs on carpets really throw a lot of people with dementia because it's just too much. And the other thing you'll see is people falling. Um, falls tend to show the, the healthcare uh providers that there's something going on, not that you necessarily have dementia, so to speak. But, but that visual-spatial, so you know when you take a step off the curb, your brain goes, ah, it's about six inches, or whatever it was. But have you ever misjudged it, and it just jars you, and you think, oh my gosh. That is what's happened, that uh, people with dementia have a hard time reading that depth. And so they're going to what? They're going to fall. So uh, um, another thing in the hospital, you know how the bathroom is all white? And we say, hey, go in and take a shower as a nurse. Well, they can't tell where the shower begins and ends and there's white toilets and everything's white and extremely, it could be a very overwhelming, um, sending them into this white you know, cave of nothing to them. So, uh, trouble understanding those images. New problems with words and speaking or writing. We've had people who are living with dementia who love to read, no longer enjoy it. You have people who will read and stay on the same page, which is fine if they enjoy that page. But here's what I want you to think about. You have a sentence, and every third or fourth word is dropped, let's just take that away. Does that, your favorite book make sense anymore? No, so you, the joy of reading, because you don't, it doesn't make sense to you anymore. Because if you, th- if you take those words away, that's, that's, that's the whole point of your story. Um, speaking jumbling words uh, using um, different words you know the the hairbrush is the toothbrush I mean there's a lot of different things with words and then there be there's the ones they end up becoming nonverbal okay so aphasia speech is a big one communication is huge they have a hard time finding the words they may make up their own words as it progresses Um, and writing Some people, it's not phased by it. A lot of people, you will be able to tell in their handwriting that it's very different than what what their handwriting used to be. So depending on where in the brain that that we're having the problem, you're gonna see that played out in your communication skills. Misplacing things. We've all misplaced keys, right? And we all say, I had them last night or I had them yesterday, I was in the car, and you can kind of retrace your steps. People who have dementia have a little more difficulty, and that's where you find the wallet in the freezer. <laughs> yeah, the wallet's in the freezer and it's your fault. That's another one because of the, the, the way the, what's going on. So it's hard to trace back, right? The keys are in the microwave. So it's really difficult to find those lost items, and then they get very frustrated. I think somebody even used it frustrated because guess what, they can't find what they know that that's not where they were they were right there and they're not anymore so misplacing things and you can't retrace those steps decreased or poor judgment that's where i hate to say taken advantage of Um, a lot of it is unfortunately family but that's where grandma writes you a hundred thousand dollar check and you're like yeah well (laughs) we go back and there's decreased in poor judgment and this is where you know the the phone calls the scammers and all that they're really vulnerable about this but poor judgment and it is decreased so we have to kind of think through that too um with the money and uh, financial is the big abuse with uh, with this issue uh which all from work or social activities some of y'all are going, well yeah, if I got lost in Tom Thumb, I'm not running to my social club and you know, reporting, wow, I got lost in Tom Thumb. Or if you're an avid card player and you notice you're struggling and it's not either A, you don't know what you're doing or you just it's not making sense to you, are you gonna go to the, the card game that night? So naturally, if you're noticing this about yourself, you are gonna withdraw. And you, some of y'all said it, there's guilt and shame. There's a lot of different feelings that go around, even at that time thinking, um, I don't want anybody to know. So I'm going to withdraw. And I have a dear friend who has this, the, is withdrawn from church and everything else because she does not want people to know. So that, that's another withdrawing from you know, things that actually help us deal with dementia, social interaction. Um, oh, changes in mood and personality. You will hear people say, boy, my Uncle Jim was the nicest, softest, kindest man ever, and boy, he is really mean. He says things that I can't even believe come out of his mouth. That's one. Or you have the one who's very paranoid or suspicious. That is all part of that, and usually it's the frontal part of your lobe that kind of um, causes that, but yes, you're gonna see changes in personality with some people. So back to everybody is different, you can see everybody is gonna be very different with all of these, and what signs are, you know, so I can't tell you well dementia, the very first sign is. It varies from person to person. It could be sleep issues, it could be a million different things that start it. So risk factors. We all know age is a risk factor, especially for Alzheimer's type, okay? Family history, you know, they're still working with biomarkers and genetics. Um, there is some genetic predisposition that puts you at higher risk, but doesn't mean you're gonna get it. A lot of doctors will say, steer clear of genetic testing because what are you, what are you gonna do, right? Um, so this, this row right here, I always say, these are the ones that we have control over. Everybody wants to say, what can we do? Well, it goes back to what you've been told, all of us have been told, eating, Mediterranean diet, exercising, tra- you know, use your brain, get out and socialize. But that also prevents a lot of these, these are the cardiovascular, and neurovascular problems. So you can see people who have diabetes put you at a, a higher risk. Females. It used to be they thought that we were at higher risk because we live longer. Well, no, (laughs) that's not it. Um, They do think estrogen, of course, plays a part in that, but they're not, they're doing studies, um, putting people on hormone replacement therapy once you have those uh, symptoms, and that didn't really help. Now they're looking at maybe if we put people on hormonal therapy prior to menopause, that that might help, but there's a lot of research. Um, Women typically, are told by their doctors it may be menopause when it's really a, a, a dementia you know so there's, that's one thing we have to pay attention to traumatic brain injury what do we know about football these days mm-hmm. right right all the concussions and we're starting to see that play out with older nfl athletes um, so now you know i'm i know the helmets are much better but there's concussion protocols that we're really starting to listen One thing to take with you is any injury to your brain puts you at risk. So you have to kind of think about that piece, you know, so whether it's a car, some people have a car wreck and have a concussion and that does cause dementia and maybe they get kind of that foggy and it's hard to shake. So again, whatever, if you have an injury to that brain, it does put us at at risk. Education's a, a one, too, and that's just because you have that, that reserve built up of um, your, your neurons. Okay, key messages. Is it a part of normal aging? No. It, it is caused by diseases of the brain. It's not just memory problems. We have so many people who go to the doctor and the doctor will say, you don't have any memory problems. You're fine. It's not dementia. Yes, there's many types. Yes, it is dementia. It's possible to have a good quality of life with dementia. That is something that we talked about in the beginning. They want to be in our church choirs. They want to volunteer. They want to be a part of this community. And so to remove the shame, the guilt and all these other feelings, we have to be knowledgeable and be aware of what's going on and be very inclusive. There's more to the person than dementia. I think that goes without saying, whether it's dementia, cancer, I mean, we're people, and y'all all all nailed that right at the beginning. So just so y'all can relax, (laughs) it's not a normal part of aging, but not everybody is gonna develop it. I know the numbers and all this attention, you think, oh my gosh, I lost my keys the other day, (laughs) and it was in my workbench. But these are some of the statistics. So not everyone will develop dementia. Um, But the older we get, your chances do increase, especially over the age of 85. And that's because, you know, we're living longer, so we're wondering if that's also a part of it, right? You know, the brain, you know, is aging right along with us. Number two, it's caused by diseases of the brain. Another thing I want to get straight before we leave. Dementia and Alzheimer's. Can anybody tell me what the difference is? Perfect, it's just one of the conditions. I had colleagues when I first got to, to, to campus say, I'm so glad my mom only had dementia and not Alzheimer's, or I'm glad my parent only had Alzheimer's and never got to dementia. And, and inside you're just going, oh no, no. So th- this is my, my other visuals. So we have flowers, and we have types of flowers, and we have dementia. These are the most common types, so I don't want y'all to think, "Oh, there's just a few." These are the most common types, and on top of that, they can be mixed. So, you as you somebody might have Alzheimer's type, and also vascular. People with Lewy body, they've they on auto, on autopsy, they've also discovered that they too had Alzheimer's. So you can see how we try to teach about dementia because no matter what type, though they're all different, they progress differently, they show up differently, but we should be treating it all the same as far as being inclusive and and knowing what they're going through. Um, The Alzheimer's dementia, you know, 60%-ish of most uh, dementias are Alzheimer's type, followed by Parkinson's, excuse me, Lewy body, Frontotemporal is, um, is one, two, but it's like two to four percent. So the big one and the one you all hear about all the time, I'm sure, is Alzheimer's type. So that's kind of your, my other visual for you. What is Lewy body? Who, okay. Lewy body is a form of dementia that actually people with um, Parkinson's can develop Lewy body. It's just like Alzheimer's, but it's a different protein. So Alzheimer's, we're looking at the plaques and tangles, right? Amyloid plaques and tau. Tangles, Lewy body, it's an alpha synuclein. So it's a different protein that's gone amok. So, it, it, and again, that's, there's a tie there but with Parkinson's, too. Just, I know y'all are going, that's not Can what? You go back one slide for just a minute? Yeah, we couldn't read those. What's the
2: first
1: one? Fronto temporal dementia, the front part of your lobe, front, frontotemporal, or FTD, if y'all are going to Google it when you get home.
0: Well, this doesn't have to do with
1: Yes, it all has to do with synapses because of the chemicals in your brain. And then as your and I'm getting there, you're good. The brain as it as it gets as it progresses, your brain shrinks to the size of about an orange. So yes, those connections are not only far apart, but the chemicals are all um, different too. And that's where some of the medications, even though that doesn't cure it, may help some of the chemical piece of it, the acetylcholine and all that. Very good. I'm ready. Okay. This is the slide that he was leading me to. What do you, do you see the difference? Yes. So when you think about the synapses, that brain is almost unfolding, right? So those grooves, they're huge. But on top of that, then you add in some plaques and tangles to add the, they can't even communicate with each other. So when you talk about the synapse and communication, it's kind of like if I'm talking to you and I know that you're my best friend, because my neuron is connecting. But because of the gap, five hours from now, I'm firing, but it actually hits a different, you know, because of the gap, I don't know who you are. Because of the neurons are firing, but it's either missing completely or taking a you know, different direction. And that goes back to that chemical piece and then the, just the gap in itself. So do you notice the front of the brain is, where, is, is, is at the top? And so that's that frontal piece, the executive functioning, the language, all that is in the front of your brain. So you can see how that is really kind of almost shrunk and pulled, pulled back. One thing that is not typically affected with dementia is hearing. So we don't need to be yelling at our people who have dementia because <laughs> hearing and there's there's proof of it in autopsies, y'all. Hearing is and you know unless you have it, you know hearing issue prior to it does not affect your hearing and. And y'all have all been around somebody who's just screaming at the person and they're just, you know, I'm right here, I still don't. Just because you got louder doesn't mean I understood you <laughs> any better. So we have to remember that. Yeah, oh yeah, using the same words louder and louder. Get, get your socks on, get your socks on, you know, doesn't really help. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I'm gonna switch gears and let I'm sure most of y'all know uh, Mr. Jim McLarty. He's a member here of your church, and he's going to share a little bit about his story um, with dementia. And then I'm going to come back, and we're going to talk about communication and a few other things before we wrap it all up. Okay, Jim.
2: Before um, we get started, would you bow your heads with me as we, as we pray? Father, I thank you and praise you for the opportunity for us to educate uh, others, and I pray that what Michelle and I share is both beneficial to the group, um, as well as more importantly that you receive the glory for that. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Um, part of, uh, we've been, my wife and I have been involved with TCU, uh, thanks to Michelle for, um, can you all hear me in the back? I do have a no okay I do have a big mouth but sometimes it's not I'd have to yell more Um, but we've had the privilege of being involved with um, TCU and education for uh, the last several years and part of me telling my story is part of just from a perspective of someone living with dementia but I also have a really rare form and so it just supports Michelle's fact that um, not all Forms of dementia are the same. So, in 2000, just for a frame of reference regarding my professional background, I am a registered nurse, as is my amazing wife Nancy. I won't bore you with the our careers in between from graduating to the end, but the last portion of my career, I was a senior healthcare consultant, and I did projects throughout the U.S. and some of them were international. Um, but I began to notice in mid-2015 th- 2015, excuse me things that I had done for years I was struggling with. And it's, you know, Nancy and I talked about it. She said, are you getting enough rest? I said, yeah, sort of normal. Um, and so that continued. So I saw our physician. He did a basic neurological exam, didn't see any evidence of, of issues, but did ask me to email him if I saw more more issues occurring, uh, and to keep him posted on symptoms. Um, And I did that, but in the meantime, my work hours were increasing. I was working on average 14 to 16 hours a day, both to complete the work, as well as hide it from my coworkers. And um, the final straw that sort of, that resulted in a neuro, or neurology uh, consult, was I had two client meetings, Uh, Both of them were an hour long. In both meetings, my notes and my recollection of those meetings were clear. The last half, my notes made no sense, nor did I have any idea of what we had discussed. So that resulted in the neuro consult. Some of the testing started primarily on Fridays because I traveled Monday through Thursday. Um, And then some of it was on weekends as well. But as my hours were becoming more unmanageable and the need for more in-depth testing because the diagnosis wasn't becoming clear, our physician ordered a medical leave. Next slide. So after six to nine months, as I refer to it, of poking and prodding, I was diagnosed with Benzwanger disease. It is a subset of vascular dementia and it represents about two percent of all persons living with dementia. Uh, It can be due to a stroke uh, but our neurologist showed us based on the MRI and CT scans that the microscopic vessels in my brain were basically collapsing and breaking down. Uh, During during that time, my cholesterol, my blood sh- uh, pressure, et cetera, were all within normal range and still are today. Um, we had never heard of the disease, and we have met only three physicians since that time, including our neurologist or cl- that are familiar with when you say I have Ben disease. They all normally look with like deer with headlights. But in looking at, and we did not receive any information from the neurologist as far as what the clinical symptoms were we had to research ourselves and that's an important point when Michelle talks about resources but in looking at the clinical symptoms I was I was classic the disease attacks executive functions first and which includes processing skills and short-term memory so thus I started noticing issues at work and the loss of as testing continued, the loss of the executive functions were based not only just on my experiences, but based on actual testing, which is called a neuropsych testing. And it's basically assessing your, your functions uh, cognitively from all different angles. Uh, the other symptoms that are listed were less apparent initially, but have become more important. Um, thankfully, the, por- the portion of the brain that controls speech is the most resistant to uh, the disease. Our family jokes and that it would only be natural uh, because Nancy says I wake up talking and I go to bed talking. So it would just be natural that that would be the case. Uh, Next next slide. After I was diagnosed, um, I continued to decline and with organization and processing skills being the most significant. I made reminder list of chores, those kinds of things. Nancy was still working at that time, traveling Monday through Thursday. Um, and so I would have list of chores which sometime worked and sometimes didn't. And that list has expanded uh, to more basic kinds of reminders today. Um, a somewhat unique issue, at least from my perspective uh, in my situation was my employer, when our physician ordered the medical leave, was shocked because they had no idea of the struggles that I was having. I had friends and family, after I was diagnosed, say, well, you don't sound like you have dementia. And really, at that time, I could understand why they would say that. But my work ethic and integrity have always been important to me. And so I felt like I was trying to validate and justify that I was not malingering. Um, And that was somewhat unique to that situation, but it was a new opportunity to serve the Lord. As I said, I had, I had been uh, traveling Monday through Thursday, now I was at home, um, and since I traveled, I served on weekend um, kinds of opportunity. I was in the greeter ministry. I also served on the personnel committee, which meets on Sunday afternoons, but with this additional time, um, I prayed that the Lord would show me opportunities where I could serve. And since I really didn't know what those opportunities were, I prayed that, in me, that he would give me guidance through sp- speaking with Pastor Keith. Um, and so I did. And uh, Keith, I have to say, has been a major support to Nancy and me uh, throughout this journey. But when I met with him, he had no idea of my, sp- of my personal prayer um, and I told when I met, I tried my clean toilets. I didn't care. I was I was open to doing anything. And he chuckled with the whole toilet thing. But I really was willing to do it. Um, but he told me that the greatest need in our church was the nursing home ministry. Um, I don't know that I necessarily had a exact a list in my mind, but I can tell you that was the last thing on my mind. <laughs> Not because I don't enjoy older people, because I do and I enjoyed the geriatric patients that I cared for when I practiced at the bedside. But we had had some challenging experiences with my stepfather, who was in a nursing home after he had a stroke, and realistically, there was a part of me that could, uh, saw that nursing homes could be a part of my future. But I was rem- reminded of my prayer, and so I stepped out and uh, participated in the ministry and I am so glad that I did. It brought me so much joy, and I had the most amazing mentor and partner in crime, as we would refer to ourselves, in Charlie Kilgore. I miss him to this day, but he is so much better off than all of us. Next slide. Um, So since that initial period of time, I have continued to decline. Uh, today my brain feels chaotic most of the time and I feel that I'm fighting the ping-pongs in my brain and the noise in my brain in order to rise above that and to communicate, interact with others, write, read, any of those things. My short-term memory has declined to the uh, one percentile and that, that is based on, again, sort of the neurosight testing that I referenced earlier uh, when they compare me to other English-speaking men and women uh, my age, um, my commu- <clears throat> excuse me—my communication is scattered. I can start sentences and have no idea what I was talking about. I lose words. I ramble. My gait is more unsteady and. And I can fall more often. And there is an MS-type component to Benzwanger disease that's somewhat separate from what Michelle, Michelle was talking about as far as spatial. Certainly that's a factor, but that was part of the pro- why it took so long to diagnose is there were symptoms that I had that could lead to other possibilities of a diagnosis. And then there are the squirrels. And I'm not talking about the ones that we fight in our backyard. Uh, they're eating food in our our uh, bird feeder, which they are an issue, but it's the meaning going. It's basically me going down paths from conversations. Some people may refer to it as rabbit trails, and it also I can have squirrels even doing tasks, uh, and get totally sidetracked. Um, the the use of squirrel. Um, the reason we use it, we use it humorously, and also Nancy uses it to sort of help redirect me, um, is I don't know if any of you saw the animated movie 10 or 12 years ago, it was called Up. And there was an older gentleman trying to train a sweet but totally undisciplined dog how to mind. And you could see the dog looking at him, and it's like, okay, the dog's going to get it. And you could see the dog's eyes sort of divert and go, SWIRL! And he'd be off. And, and that happened several times in the, in the movie. And, and I, I sort of do that a lot. Uh, but anyway, research is also provided to us by a geneticist uh, who was one of the three that I referenced familiar with, who was familiar with Ben Zwanger. References that there can be, and I do have urinary incontinence. Fortunately, it's it's at night intermittently, and I have new medication uh, that is helping with that. There can also be large emotional swings. But again, medication regulation is assisting in that as well. Michelle talked about isolation. Part of it is me being more uncomfortable if I'm expected to interact with a large group. Now, in this case, does it make me uncomfortable? Absolutely not but if i was expected to talk to all of you or in small in larger groups that i can't keep up and it's challenging smaller groups um, i generally do okay with and i enjoy those but the other part of isolation is i have friends withdrawing and i think it's because of a couple of reasons one is and i know it's not necessarily apparent today but i have notes and i have practiced but it if you have an extended conversation with me, it can be challenging and downright painful for you. Um, Because I can ramble, I have the squirrels, I can talk nonstop. And so some of them I feel sure of like, oh my heavens, I'm not gonna, I I just can't deal with that. And the second thing too is my disease is becoming much more evident. And I think that's also hard for friends to see. It doesn't make me angry, it saddens me, but I really do understand both of the reactions. However, we focus on my capabilities and accept my limitations and my mistakes. That was extremely hard for me in the beginning because I would almost try to will myself to do things. It's like, you've done this before and I can't, It didn't make any difference, and I would beat myself up and say, you're, you know, you're just being stupid. Come on. I don't really do that much anymore. Um, We try to be proactive, really probably from several perspectives. One is identifying limitations. Um, We have days, and we refer to it as fuzzy or more fuzzy days, and because... Benzwanger affects processing skills in the brain significantly. I can be aware of changes, or even on days where I'm struggling, more so than Nancy can, can see. And um, I still do drive, and so I can give you all my license plate and what kind of car I have so you can stay away. But no, <laughs> but um, seriously, it, um, I still do drive, but on days that I feel more fuzzy, uh, I'll tell Nancy I should I don't need to drive today. I shouldn't do that. Um, and for, and I can't say that this will be forever, but right now it's something that um, that we're able to manage. But if she ever told me you're honey, you're not driving safely, I'll give her the keys. I would never risk uh, hurting anyone. I also, in interacting with individuals who haven't either talked to me in a while or it may be asking someone in a store for, more assistant, maybe the Geek Squad, someone like that. I will tell them my challenges in communication and that I don't mind being redirected, those kinds of things. So I try to be proactive in that regard as well. I do still enjoy reading, but the complexity of the book is a, is a significant issue, uh, challenge. So it's, I really have to sort of look at, through them before I pick one that I read. I do word puzzles to stimulate my brain. And, um, and then particularly our work with TCU. Michelle, has, as I said before, has led the way to increase Nancy's and my involvement, and we will be forever grateful. And I believe educating others and sharing my faith through that is part, part of what the Lord expects of me. I know without question there is a purpose for me having Benzwanger disease. I don't like it. But without question, my faith tells me there's a reason for it. Um, we also laugh a lot. It's always been part of our relationship and extended to our children. And, uh, but in, in relation to my disease, at least for us, we think it's critical. I've already told you about the squirrels. But I can literally lose something that I had three minutes before. I will jokingly tell her, it's like, okay, where'd you hide it? I know you hid it from me just to irritate me. And, uh, and so it's, it's, it's meant as a, as a joke, but we, we chuckle about it. It can also take me five or six times to get out of the door if I'm going someplace. And sometimes, it's not every time, but sometimes she'll, on the third or fourth time, she'll say, oh, you think you're gone this time? And it's like, I'll say, I don't know. If I haven't come back, and if I haven't come back five, six minutes, then probably yeah. So um, then we, so like I said, we try to use humor. Uh, one thing on humor that Nancy really does dislike um, is that I told her with a diagnosis of dementia, I can do all kinds of goofy stuff in public and just blame it on the diagnosis. <laughs> She, on the other hand, her response to me is that has nothing to do with your diagnosis of dementia and everything to do with your warped little brain. So, uh, but I try to keep her on, her on her toes. But most importantly, it's an opportunity to serve differently than I have in the past. I continue to seek those opportunities and I seek, I seek joy through Christ. On the next slide, I had the privilege in 2019 of going to Antarctica. I was in awe of the beauty there. And certainly, it's not saying that just Antarctica is beautiful. If we just pay attention to our surroundings, there is beauty uh, around us all the time. But this was so different. And I would try to stand at the bow alone in the evening and just be in awe. And there were two uh, Bible verses that came to my mind regularly. One is Psalms 8. one, which, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And the other uh, is a verse in Psalm 46. Psalm 46 in itself is, a, is an amazing psalm. Uh, and I think it's the one that uh, inspired the beautiful hymn of uh, a mighty fortress is our God. But the verse that I see most quoted and you'll see it in Christian bookstores, et cetera, is be still and know that I am God. Well, and this, I had the opportunity to study that more before the trip, but I used to jokingly say to Nancy, it's like, you know, I don't sit well along for often, and I haven't done it my whole life. And so I'm just pretty sure this verse doesn't apply to me. Now, that's a joke. That's a joke. Um, but... As I, in all seriousness, as I had an opportunity uh, through a pastor to understand the meaning of verse 10, back to the Hebrew meaning, the word still, it comes from the Hebrew word of "ratha," And it means basically to let uh, let go, be weak, surrender. So it takes on a totally different connotation. And so in context to... uh, this to now, it, for, so be, sti- uh, be still and surrender to God. For some, it can be the first time that they surrender and, and uh, accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. For us as believers, it's a chance to surrender more and have a deeper relationship with Christ. I, stri- I strive to do that daily. I can't tell you that I do it well every day, but it's certainly my prayer And what I seek his guidance in doing. Last slide is, there is always hope. And Michelle spoke to to that and our neurologist says that to us regularly. And I believe there's two ways to look at it. Uh, I regularly look on the National Institute of Health website for clinical trials related to anything that I may may be applicable to me. Not a lot for Bidswinger, but there have been some occasionally. Um, Nancy regularly discusses either my new meds or adjusting my meds with our physician to improve the quality of my life. I have banked DNA and I won't explain that now, but if you if you have questions about what that means, there will be an evaluation in and just make a note that you would like it and I'll be glad to pass the information on. And certainly I pray for either drugs that can slow down the progression or for cures. But there's also hope from a spiritual perspective. First is I pray that the Lord returns soon and it's no longer an issue for believers who either have family with dementia or they themselves have dementia and we're called up in the air and we see our savior face to face. But I do fall, sometimes physically but also in my emotions and in my spirit. And I believe Psalms 42.5 describes a lot of times how I I feel. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within? This is not an easy journey. Literature speaks to it being much worse for caregivers, and I strongly believe that. But it also is challenging for the person living with dementia. A friend referenced uh, Micah 7, 8 to me, and what's on the screen is a paraphrase. But the way that I say that is that I say, uh, though I fall, I will rise again with the Lord's help. And just as God gave the Israelites just enough manna for the day so that they would grow in faith and trust in Him, I look at it that I need... Manna from day to day, sometimes hour to hour, sometimes minute to minute, and I don't need him to give me more than just what I need then. And so that's one of the ways that I look at that. But I also work and pray to keep my focus on Philippians thirteen, fourteen, and a portion of it's on the slide. One thing I do is forgetting what lies behind, so not thinking. And focusing well, you used to could do that. You could do, you know, that, and also not focusing on past sins in which I've asked His, uh, the Lord's forgiveness. But in, I strain forward to what lies ahead. I look at how can the Lord use me? How can I be of, of? how can I grow and be more like Him? And ultimately, a goal that I think all believers have is that I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God cry and our cry in Christ Jesus. Thank you.